Welcome aboard another episode of White Collar Crimes. We show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. I'm Ryan Horn, the host. Great as always to have you all aboard. You know, when you hear the name Paul Burks, that doesn't really probably ring a big bell uh, among the white collar criminals. It certainly doesn't rank up there with a lot that you're familiar with, like your Bernie Madoff and Jordan Belfort and some of the other ones that we've covered in here or, you know, some of the other famous scandals like Enron and, you know, some of the other ones that come to mind. But uh, this is a very real white collar scam that was done and it was uh, done within the last decade mainly, one we are going to cover. And it's one that I can relate to because uh, we do know some people, uh, my wife and I do, that were actually affected by this scam and uh, were certainly, you know, harmed financially, at least from it, at least somewhat. But uh, again, his name's not one you probably think. It didn't grab the headlines like a lot of other white-collar crime cases, but nonetheless, it was a real one, and it did happen. And Paul Burks, as I said, was the brain trust, if you will, behind the Zeke Rewards scam. He was the uh, CEO behind this corporation, and they operated, yet again, another simple Ponzi scheme that we've seen so many times in white-collar crime cases. Now, for those of you that are not aware, uh, you know, if we have discussed Ponzi schemes in this show before. If you are just joining us, you know, fairly new listener, you may not be familiar with a Ponzi scheme, but a Ponzi scheme goes back a long time in white collar crime. It's actually named after the person who's credited for it, Charles Ponzi, although he probably didn't invent the Ponzi scheme, but he certainly uh, made it a, you know, masterful technique, you know, and that's often the case, you know, Henry Ford didn't invent the automobile, but he certainly found a way to mass produce it and bring it to the masses. Uh, Ray Kroc did not invent the hamburger, but you know he certainly found a way also to mass produce it. And a lot could be said in that regard about Charles Ponzi. But a Ponzi scheme is when you promise massive rewards to investors. You get them to invest, and you take their money, and you know you use it for yourself or whatever. But you don't actually invest it, and. As long as you have new investors continually coming in, you have money that you can use to pay off investors when they want out and are ready to cash out. But the problem is, is when investors start cashing out and wanting their money soon, if you're not getting enough new ones coming in, you run out of money and eventually the system collapses. You know, it's similar to, you know, a pyramid scheme and other types of fraud that we're familiar with in this system. And that's really been done over and over in this type of, uh, you know, white collar crimes that we always talk about. And this was no different with Burks. You know, this is a, a classic Ponzi scheme that was done. But according to the U.S. Court District of the Western District of North Carolina, Burke was the owner and CEO of the Rex Venture Group. Now, again, doesn't, uh, you know, probably ring a bell compared to uh, some of the other you know, scams or financial groups that are out there, but, you know, it was a big and at that time legitimate corporation. Um, they owned and operated Ziegler, and that was a scam for a penny auction company, which, you know, penny auctions are just allow people to invest very cheaply and get in on the action. And uh, that's how they lured people in to this scam. 
Now, Zeke Rewards claimed they were making massive profits off these penny auctions. They claimed that investors could set in on the action too. Just get in on it, you know, invest and you'll make quick, easy money. And at one point, they were guaranteeing a 125% return on investment, which, you know, in all honesty, that should have been a red flag to a lot that are out there because that is not a realistic return on any type of investment, especially in the short term. But, you know, Charles Ponzi was doing similar things to that, and that's what was happening in this case. And, you know, a lot of people bought in. They uh, claimed that investors could share in about 50% of their daily profits, which again is massive. You know, probably should have set off more, you know, red flags and alarms than it did. But that's what they were claiming and luring to get people in. But like all Ponzi schemes, uh, you know, pretty soon the money generated is not enough from the investors. And we'll see in a little bit how they're collapsed, just like so many others. Um, But like a classic Ponzi scheme, it was, uh, you know, being generated by these new incoming investors. And, you know, people were making quick money. You know, getting these fast, big returns, which is, you know, what a lot of people want, you know, which, you know, any legitimate investment uh, professional is not going to, you know, try to get you to do that. You know, investing, you know, most of us, I would say out here have done some form of it one way or other. And, you know, most of the time it's a slow, gradual process. Uh, You know, 8 to 10% is really a good return on a lot of investments. And, you know, when you have some that are promising 125%, you know, very quickly, that is a major red flag. But in this case, it's not, uh, you know, enough people didn't catch it soon enough. And, you know, unlike uh, the other white-collar schemes, Burke and his investors, you know, they gave this one a personal touch. You know, uh, Bernie Madoff, you know, really huge, hard to really uh, get a personal touch from a system that was that big and, a you know, an empire that he had built that big. But this was a little smaller in the scheme of some of the other uh, white-collar crime schemes that we've seen over the years. But they, you know, really gave a personal touch. Kind of reminded me, you know, looking into this was almost like the Saturn Car Company. If you remember those, those, you know, when those came out, they operated in Tennessee, very folksy advertising. You know, they had picnics that you could be invited to from the company every year if you bought a Saturn, and they really gave it a personal touch and a personal feel. Well, that's what these guys did, uh, Burks and his uh, cronies here. They hosted weekly conference calls where investors could listen in as they made these false claims about these massive returns and how much money they were all making just, you know, off of very cheap, uh, cheap quick, easy penny stocks and, uh, you know, penny auctions and things of that sort, or penny auctions, I should say. And they offered in-person conferences, uh, you know, they kind of like, again, the the Saturn thing. They furthered their fraud also through electronic and print media, you know, and their own website. So they did give it some legitimacy. And recruiting members, you know, that was a big push, which is always a red flag for a Ponzi scheme slash pyramid scheme. Um, anytime you're involved in something and the push like that for an investment is more about getting new people in than, you know, selling a product or, you know, investing and, and you know, investing and getting, you know, returns on the investment and things of that sort, then that should be a red flag to any of us if the number one goal of this quote-unquote investment is to, 
get new people in, then, you know, right there, that should be your red flag. You know, any type, me personally, I am leery of any type of uh, multi-level marketing, MLM. You know, I'm sure a lot of you have had, you know, that friend you haven't heard from in a while and they get a hold of you. Hey, I got this. This is really great. And, you know, join up and get so many people under you and, you know, you make money too. And, you know, studies have shown over and over again in these pyramid schemes, you know, a only a tiny fraction ever make any kind of money on these. And it's always the people at the top of the pyramid, the people in the middle and down toward the bottom don't. They end up losing money on their investments and, you know, they have a lot of stress and, you know, sometimes lose friendships, you know, trying to get people, you know, roped in. And that became the push here because obviously they needed more money coming in to keep the Ponzi scheme going. And... That was the big game, the big push for it. But by August of 2012, they, you know, started getting a little bold and they fraudulently, fraudulently boasted assets of about $3 billion, which, you know, it's pretty good for a, you know, little company that started out not long before this. But it later become known they only had about $340 million to pay these investors. So they're claiming all these large you know, returns in this large empire they've built. Well, some people like to get out while the getting's good and, you know, they're going to start demanding their money soon, which creates a problem for them or any type of Ponzi scheme. But they found out later, the court documents showed that Burke himself pocketed about $10.1 million of this just for himself. And he failed to file a tax return for his company in 2011. And they also issued fraudulent 1999 IRS tax returns, which caused many of their investors to file incorrect returns. Uh, Also for, you know, this is also for money that they actually did not receive because as we found out later, it was not really a legitimate company getting truly legitimate returns. So people were paying taxes in reality on, you know, returns that did not really exist. You know, it's not the fault of the people. You know, they most of them, I'm sure, truly believe they were getting these returns. But as we saw later, uh, they were not, you know, know, false and fraudulent. But like all Ponzi schemes, eventually it comes crashing down. And this came crashing down because, as I said just a little bit ago, investors began to ask for their money. And that's what happened here. You know, big returns... But also, people probably start seeing some false flags. You know, people start asking questions how something so new could be making money hand over fist so quickly. So people started, uh, you know, wanting to cash in. And, you know, like a true Ponzi scheme, I'm sure some of the initial people that began cashing out, you know, they had $340 million. They were probably able to pay, you know, some of these back to keep it going. But since... New ones were not coming in as frequently, then they're not able to keep this going. And when the money flow stops, so does the ability to pay them. And the court documents also revealed about 98% of their incoming funds came from quote unquote new investors, which again is the, you know, trademark of a Ponzi scheme. You know, it's all about new investors that without that it, you know, the scam cannot exist or operate. But things began to crash for Burke and his crew then when many of the investors wanted their money and, you know, did not receive it. So complaints were filed with, you know, uh, the government officials with the proper law enforcement authority. And eventually, uh, Burke, he was charged in federal court in North Carolina with wire fraud and mail fraud 
wire and mail fraud conspiracy and tax fraud conspiracy. A lot of charges brought up against him. And, you know, it's never good when federal charges are brought up. Any of you that know anything about law enforcement, I know from my days at the sheriff's office, I made a lot of trips transporting people to federal court from our jail to the federal courthouse. And, you know, the federal conviction rate is off the scales. Generally, when the feds bring charges against you, your chances of winning and going free are very slim. And this certainly did not look good for Burke and his cohorts. And a lot of charges, as I said, were brought up against them. The trial lasted altogether about three weeks. He was convicted and ordered to serve about 176 months in prison. So, Mr. Burke's at age 70 at this time. That is, you know, essentially going to be a life sentence. Time he gets out, I believe that would probably put him in, you know, his late 80s, which if he survives prison that long, we don't really know. There really hasn't been a whole lot reported. I mean, I, you know, guess I could probably try to get my hands on his uh, pre-sentence investigation report. That's probably a matter of public record. But not a whole lot was really said about his life. But, you know, he did manage to run a very simple but yet pretty elaborate scheme that uh, made himself and his friends for a short while a lot of money. Like I said, he pocketed $10 million of it himself. And, you know, no telling how much some of his, you know, cronies and whatnot took in. And, you know, he was able to build a fraudulent empire, you know, for a short while anyway, without ever you know, having to legitimately, you know, invest and run a legitimate investment business. But he was ordered to serve also when he releases about three, if, when he is released, about three years of mandatory supervised release, which those of you that are not aware, that's basically what is known as also as parole. A lot of states, I know Illinois, state of Illinois here where I'm at, they call it mandatory supervised release. Uh, you know, it's just really the old school parole. Uh, pay a restitution of $244 million, which is interesting because, you know, altogether probably about, you know, $340 million was all they had on hand. And I remember at this time, too, they did set up a receivership website. I believe there was a gentleman by the name of Ken Starr, I think, that was the, you know, architect of this and the one that tried to work and tried to attempt to help victims get back some of their money. Um, some of the ones that we know personally that my wife and I know that were victimized by this. They were able to retrieve a little bit of their money and a little bit of their losses, but, you know, in in the end, very few times are they ever able to truly make uh, restitution to all of the victims in these type of cases. Uh, you know, sometimes some of them just unfortunately don't ever recover what they've lost. You know, and they in these, you know, receivership sites and, and, you know, these folks that are, you know, trying to do this, they can only estimate a lot of times, you know, what's been lost and what needs to be recovered. Thankfully, they were able to at least do this and, and you know, get some money back. But a lot of times, as we saw in Bernie Madoff's scam and some of the other ones, more times than not, unfortunately, the folks affected by this, their lives are actually the ones that are end up ruined financially, emotionally and otherwise. And that was certainly, you know, the case here. But like I said, at least they were able to retrieve a little bit of this and get a little bit of this back. But still, you know, the suffering continues. And there was at least some justice. You know, 176 months, that's a pretty good sentence for a white-collar crime. And as I said a little bit ago, at, at Mr. Burks's age, that's most likely a life sentence. And, you know, the fines and restitution, I don't know that he's ever made any attempt to pay those. It's not really been a matter of court record that I saw. 
but we know that happens too. You know, I've mentioned on this show plenty of times in, a, you know, when I did the podcast on Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, many times he is also, you know, that many times I've also pointed out that he was ordered by the court as part of his, you know, release to pay restitution to these victims. And he's paid back very, very little of what he's actually required to pay back. But, you know, it's not stopped him. He's touring all over Australia and other parts of the world, living like a rock star. He's promoting products. He's, you know, holding seminars. And, you know, like I said, he was, the movie was made about him. You had the Wolf of Wall Street and he had a cameo in that. So, you know, he carries on business like he's a hero, even though he's robbed and destroyed, you know, more lives than, you know, we'll ever really truly know. And unfortunately, that's just oftentimes the case. And, you know, one of the key things I remember when I studied white collar crime in graduate school at the University of Cincinnati, that most of the time they have very little remorse, any of these white collar criminals. You know, they deny for one they've ever committed these crimes. And if they are held accountable, they, you know, minimize it or, you know, out and out deny it. And I have no doubt in my mind, you know, Mr. Burks and, you know, Mr. Madoff when he was here and Belfort and all of these, they very truly no doubt in their mind, don't really think what they've done is really that wrong, or they don't really understand, I think, or even try to understand the depth of how much and how many lives these actually destroy. It's very, very sad and disturbing. That's what's always gotten me about the crime. And it's not unusual, you know, I know from my days, again, in the sheriff's office and just dealing with, you know, your average street criminal and street crime, you know, they don't oftentimes, you know, own up to their crimes or admit them or take responsibility either. It's not unusual, but it's no different with white collar crime, even though these are, you know, people generally that have more money and more education and more prestige than a lot of these average everyday street criminals. They don't take any more responsibility for their actions a lot of times than than the average street criminal does. And like I've pointed out many times on this show, sometimes the damage and the number of lives they've ruined and harmed is actually far worse than what a lot of street criminals actually do. We've talked about plenty of cases on here that have cost lives. The Ford Pinto scandal, uh, the uh, Gray scandal in Montana with the asbestos company, um, on and on. You know, that there's been cases we've talked about where not only did people get ripped off financially, but they were harmed. You know, the Flint, Michigan water crisis, that also caused some deaths. You know, and again, like I've said too on this show, it's not always the rich businessman or the Wall Street guy. Sometimes it's government officials that do these things. And, you know, we have to just stay on the watch and stay on guard. And, you know, again, that's what we try to do on this show to educate and show people that, you know, the average criminal is not always just some hoodlum out on the street, you know. But, uh, but it's reported also only about 10 to 13 million actually got dispersed from this receivership site. So in the end of the day, probably nowhere near the amount of money that people invested and was ripped off from them actually was recovered and sent back nowhere near it. Again, a little bit's better than nothing. And, you know, I applaud the efforts that they made to try to recover for people who were harmed by this. But, you know, again, more times than not, it just doesn't, uh, doesn't ever, you know, truly ever work out in the end. And they get away ripping people off scot-free. Sadly, it's not known really the loss, you know, overall, how much was truly lost or harmed. You know, a lot of people, you know, this was making quick, easy money. So a lot of people were probably willing to pour a lot of money into it. And, you know, as we saw, it wasn't legit and wasn't real. So that's money they lost and most likely didn't get all or if any of it back. So, 
Again, a word to wise of all of us. You know, if there's a scam out there like this, if there's an investment and it seems too good to be true and they're just, you know, making money hand over fist really quickly and easily and making these huge promises that you know nobody can probably truly deliver, that should be a red flag right there. That's something that all of us should really keep an eye out on because there's always people out there willing to scam us and, you know, try to take advantage of all of us. So, you know, let's look out for each other and I appreciate you tuning into this show. Uh, We'll be back again next week. I always appreciate your tuning in. And like I always mentioned, that uh, you can like our Facebook page, White Collar Crimes. You can follow my website, ryan-horn.com. Also, voiceover services available. We uh, have our Anchor page. Anchor is our host site for this podcast. You can donate to us financially if you like our show. But as I always say, we much more appreciate you tuning in and listening. We'll be back again soon. God bless and take care and keep an eye out for each other. We'll see you again next time.